0: Everyone, uh, let's get back together. I would love to hear some of your observations. We'll have maybe a mic runner or two um, to come around. And if you have questions, concerns, observations. um, PJ had something over here. Thank you, hello um you know i i thought you know in this book we explore shadrach meshach and abednego and now we're exploring daniel Um, but the distinguishing characteristic between all four of them is excellence and like just being extremely responsible in their task and i feel like that's really overlooked of like a calling that god has on all of our lives is to to be like exceedingly responsible we see that in life of joseph and how god worked through that Mm. um and you know i just feel like this really distinguishes how like that is just like a, uh, something that God can use to change the world through us. And we shouldn't overlook like, you know, what are the things we have uh, responsibility or, okay, how do we be so good at that? And of course, that will bring conflict inherently because other people are jealous of that. And that's what we see in the story. Yeah. yeah, I think you're so right. I, we, we were preparing for this passage this past week. We were laughing at how he was neither corrupt or negligent. Like most politicians are going to be one or the other. And he was neither. Um, and he's been through many different kind of rulers and administrations. This is like the third one, I think. So him just being that excellent the whole time is, is really um, admirable. Yeah. Anyone else? Don't be shy. Yeah. Um, something I found kind of funny was um, Daniel kind of like as soon as they told him about the law, like, hey, uh, you're not allowed to pray to God. First thing Daniel does is say, "Well, I need to go pray about that." <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just the interesting too thing that, um, like, he didn't make a big like big deal about it. He just like, "Oh, really? Okay." And then he went on about his business, and he mm-hmm. went up to like his upstairs room where the window was open. Obviously, people could see him and hear him, and he just went about it, went about his business. Mm-hmm. Like it just like Daniel didn't make a ruckus about it. He just he just did what was right. Like yeah. I just find that really really like intriguing. Yeah. Definitely, that's really good. I think that I found really, really scary was that when the people that like, turned him in um, were about to be punished, the family, the kids, and the wife were thrown in there. And it really reminded me of my dad being like, whatever you do to us, your kids are going to do to you. Like, you're going mm. to pay for it mm. one way or another. Your kids are also going to pay for whatever sins you do. And I'm just like, wow, that's yeah. not a lie. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was harsh. We read that and we are like, ooh, the kids and the wives too. Man, that is rough. Plus by lions, that is not a good way to go. It's rough. Maybe one more. Yeah. So I kind of want to tap in a little bit to the jealousy aspect as well. Um, I recently was listening to this podcast that was a little bit tapping on jealousy and one of the things they were just saying is jealousy isn't always a bad thing and it doesn't make you a bad person but something is happening internally and needs attention and sometimes we become embarrassed or ashamed so I just feel like what we're seeing in this passage in the perspective of the satraps and administrators is that like they're jealous that Daniel's about to receive something that they want mm-hmm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. And what they do with that jealousy is really where things go wrong. But, like, the feeling itself is, isn't is always, yeah. like, a bad feeling. To, like, yeah. desire something mm-hmm. is not always a bad thing. But what we do with that desire and how we go about to try to get those things, um, they went really wrong. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they want maybe to be like him. He's about to inherit the kingdom. He's about to be second in command. It's how I feel every year towards the Patriots, you know. I hate them so much, but they're so good, and they win, and you just want to hate them, but they're very good, so it's hard to hate them. Tom Brady. Um, I'm a Bears fan, so I just am really at the bottom of the barrel there, but, well, no, Miami is the worst. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Caleb. (laughs) uh yeah maybe- maybe one more if there's anyone else, anybody else? if not, I can jump in. I can't see He anguished, yeah, the king yeah yeah we were we were also talking about how the king and the lions fasted that night. They were both in anguish <laughs> um well, uh, let, me, let me jump in. So I'll just pray for us to start. Um, God, we just ask that you would be here, that you would encounter us through this story about lions and rulers and power. And God, that you would meet us in these pages. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us what it is that you have to say. God, make me small and make yourself big. In your name, Amen. So when they assigned this passage to me, I had no idea um, that I would be visiting this big cat rescue place in Tampa. Has, has anyone big to the, been to the Big Cat Rescue in Citrus Park? It's very cool. Um, it's this like it's in the middle of nowhere, and um, there's like 60 different big cats that they have rescued there. It's a conservation. Um, place So they have tigers and leopards and lions, um, servals, bobcats. Like, I didn't have any idea that that was right in Citrus Park. It is wild. And um, when we went, it was... It was in the morning, and it was colder, so they were all out. And actually, on that day that we went, they were fasting the cats because they were going to be taking flea medicine the next day. So I got this, like, uphand look at a lion fasting (laughs) right before I was going to this passage. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, And, you know, while we were going through, it's like this massive, they have a bunch of acres. And while we're walking through, our tour guide is sort of telling us, like, you know, this cat was rescued from of a wildfire in San Diego, and this cat was rescued from Guatemala from these people that were illegally um, showing animals or using them in the circus. Um, That's like illegal now, so you can't do that anymore. Um, So they've rescued a ton of cats, but as they're telling us these stories, the stories get darker and darker and darker, and I'm like, who are these people? Uh, we, we, we walked by a lion and they were like, yeah, this lion, um, Nikki was, was uh, rescued from a drug raid in Tennessee. And we were like, wait, what? <laughs> apparently this lion was rescued um, in Tennessee from this, basically a meth house where they stored it in the basement to like punish people and scare people. And they rescued this lion from, uh, from the basement of this drug house. And I'm just like, how? <laughs> I'm sorry, but how how is that possible? How are you getting in touch with these? Lo- like, how is that a thing? Um, and apparently, their CEO, her name is Carol Baskins. She has been so successful at the work of rescuing these big cats, which are mainly um, harbored and like kept illegally, and they're abused and they're kept to harm people. A lot of people in the mafia have these cats. It's like. Just a wild thing. So Carol, who is the CEO, is so successful at the work that they do. They're really pressing people um, to rescue these cats that she's had multiple death threats over the years of doing this. And she's been doing it for like 10 years. Um, I actually have a picture of us with the cat and Carol. So Carol is the one next to me with the lion uh, or the, the little leopard print scarf. And that's the lion that was saved from the drug raid. Um, <laughs> that's a, it's a big... Behind line, that's like 400 pounds of pure muscle and instinct right there. Um, so Carol, that lady, she's the most bad. At, like you think these cats are intense? Carol is intense. Okay, so Carol has had um, death threats over the last 10 years. People have put spiders and snakes in her mailbox. She's like, oh, I don't open my mailbox anymore. Um, people have sent her like fake anthrax, like crazy stuff. People have like made videos of dolls that look like her and they're like hanging them or blowing them up because these people that own these cats that she's taking them from are like serious people. There was a man arrested two years ago who had paid $3,000 to have her killed Um, and he was like an illegal zookeeper. So for the like, and, and we met her and she's like, hey everybody, like she's just, she has like a leopard bike she was riding around. You can't see it in these pictures but she has like leopard socks and she's like, not afraid. And she keeps doing this. So I'm like, why does this lady continue to save big cats if her life is being threatened? Like, I just wouldn't care that much about big cats to put my life at risk. But Carol here, she is so committed to saving these lions that she's willing to risk her life. Um, And so that's where we're going to pick up in Daniel's story. Daniel is willing to get killed because he's so committed to his faith. He's so committed to prayer. Um, so just a quick raise of hands, uh, if it was made illegal to pray, who would be running to, to pray right away? Okay, good, we're all not Christians, all right, that's good, that's good, that's good. That's good. Me too, I'm like, I'm not a Christian, I don't know why I'm up here, but I was like, Daniel, just wait 30 days, man, just wait 30 days. He just, has got to go straight to prayer, uh, So obviously Daniel had favor. Um, He was about to be second in command and rule over the entire kingdom. He had power, he was not corrupt in any way, and there was absolutely nothing that this mob could really have against him except for making a law against his faith. And so they do just that. They go all together like a big mob to the king and they get him to sign a law into place. And he agrees to do this. and actually this law is not very customary for Persians to do. So Persians are a more culturally open uh, society. They would have been more polytheistic. And so signing something into this, uh, signing this law into place would have been a little bit countercultural. It wouldn't have been very normal. Um, and so I wanted just to get really quick back in your groups. And I'm just gonna ask you another question really quick. Why is King Darius willing to sign this law? So just get back in your groups really, really quick and answer that question to each other. Why is King Darius willing to sign this law? Okay. Talk back to me really quick. Give me some of the highlights from that little conversation. Why did King Darius sign this into law? What were his motivations? Anybody? You can shout it out. Pride and fear. Pride and fear. Politics. Yeah. Politics. Control. Control. Peer, pressure. Peer pressure. Yep. Wanting to be loved. To be loved. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anybody else? Those are really good. I think you guys got them. Yeah. So I think he's afraid. I think he's afraid of the mob. I think he doesn't want to stick up to them. Um, I think he's trying to protect himself and he's acting out of self-preservation. He's being diplomatic. He's being a politician and he doesn't want to be wrong. I think his pride is getting kind of stroked and he's cool with that. Um, Now let's look at what Daniel did really quick. So verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So Daniel was like a sheep to the slaughter here. I think they set a trap for him, which, honestly, Daniel's pretty smart. He probably knew they set that trap for him, and he walked right into it so why he was about to be in control of this entire kingdom and he willingly gave that up to go to his room and pray so get right back in that group and i want you to ask the question why did daniel go to pray so figure that out with each other and then we'll do the same thing okay All right, let's do the same thing again. Shout out some of those answers. Why did Daniel immediately go to pray? Why would he choose to do that? This one's a little bit harder. Yeah. That's right. Mm. yes all right i can sit down everybody (laughs) no no no. you're good you're good (laughs) you're good yeah he had faith um he had faith he believed that god could rescue him out of any situation Um, definitely what else yeah he put god in his rightful political place power place over all of this yeah that's right anything else That's pretty good. I think that there are some really core differences here, and King Darius and Daniel are really in contrast with each other. They have very different motivations. Darius is operating out of self-interest, self-preservation. He's leading from fear and anxiety and the pressure of the people. He's really only concerned about his image and his pride. And Daniel is operating out of submission and faithfulness to God. He is willing to lose his life because he knows who is in control. He knows who has power and he's unafraid and unwavering in his commitment to God. In the same way, we can operate from one of these two motivations. We can be self-concerned or self-forgetting. We can be fearful and anxious or free and brave. We can submit to the idol of approval and power or submit ourselves to the one, the only one with real power. And we have to make that choice. So I think the first thing this passage is showing us is that we have a choice about who we submit to. So I wanted to just illustrate really quickly this idea between self-forgetfulness and self-preservation. Um, and I was talking to um, Lucas recently about bathroom etiquette. So <laughs> it's a weird conversation, but it's one that we had. Anyway, um, I'm also gonna totally throw me under the bus here. So sorry about that. Um, so yeah, Lucas was telling me that uh, when you know, they were having a conversation with Tommy, and when he uses the bathroom, he's a very self-preservation motivated bathroom user. Um, so say for example, he's in the stall and uh, he's, you know, using the bathroom. If someone walks in, he'll lift his feet up so that no one can see that he's in the bathroom, <laughs> which I think takes a lot of core strength. So. That's, yeah, so, but he'll lift his feet up so that no one can see that he's in the bathroom. Or if he has to do something maybe loud, he'll kind of wait for the air, the dryer to go on or, or someone to flush or the sink. Um, so this is a self-preservation bathroom etiquette, right? You don't want someone to know you're in the bathroom. You're trying to preserve yourself. Now, uh, when we were talking about this conversation, I also was like, oh, I know the inverse, the opposite of that is Miss Nancy. So if you've ever... <laughs> into the bathroom with Miss Nancy, she is praying, she is worshiping, she's speaking on the phone, she's blessed me one time while we were in the bathroom. She's very self-forgetting. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're in the bathroom or somewhere else, she's just herself. She is just unashamed, sold out for Jesus. And that's a very self-forgetful bathroom etiquette, right? She blesses other people too, you know? She doesn't wait for the dryer, she just lets it out, you know, just go for it. So, I think these are the two different ways that we can be. So who feels like they're more like Tommy in the bathroom? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And who's, who's like, you know if you're a Nancy, who's a Nancy in the bathroom? Okay, that's good, thank you. <laughs> we definitely need to be more, uh, more like Nancy in, in more ways than that, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, what happens next in this story? The big mob goes to the king, and they ask him, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And King Darius walks right into this one. He says, the decree stands in in ordinance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So they're reminding him again, hey, you signed this law. It can't be repealed. It can't be changed. Um, And then they let him know, ah, Daniel... The one of, who is one of the exiles of Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed when he determined to, and then he determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Um, But here's the thing. I think that King Darius could have saved him. It's the king, after all. He can kind of do whatever he wants to do. Um, but he's unwilling to do that at the sake of his own pride, at the sake of his own personhood. He's, he's, un- he's unable to do that at any sacrificial rate. Um, so he doesn't. And we see the, the result of that. We see the result of self-preservation, and se- of self-preservation leadership. He's in anguish. He spends the night restless. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't have entertainment t- brought to him because he's about to put an innocent man to death. And that brings him anguish. Now, Daniel, on the other hand, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't even try to speak to the king, um, which we've seen him do before with Nebuchadnezzar. He has tried to go and speak to the king, reason with him. Hey, don't do this. He doesn't do that. And we see him willing to walk into the trap and take the punishment. So how does Daniel make this choice to pray instead of saving himself? And I think as I was researching and kind of studying this, I think what Daniel has that maybe we don't is that he's overcome loss aversion. So does anybody know what loss aversion is? Have, have you guys heard of that before? No. So loss aversion is a human bias towards loss, meaning that the negative emotion of losing something outweighs the positive emotion of gaining something. Um, these behavioral scientists did a experiment um, that resulted in a clear example of this human bias towards loss. Uh, basically what they did is they set up this experiment where people could make a bet and they'd flip a coin and if the coin was tails they would lose hundred dollars if the coin landed on heads they would win two hundred dollars and so what they found on average is that people had to gain about twice as much to take that um without (laughs) because of the potential loss of losing hundred dollars they had to gain twice as much in order to take that bet And so everyone has loss aversion. Um, Businesses, they, they, you know, marketing strategies, they do this all the time. You're like in Amazon cart and you don't check out and they send you an email, hey, you missed something. Don't miss out on the deal. There's only one left in stock. Um, They use that to play into your loss aversion, right? You don't wanna miss something Um, and I think the interesting thing though as I was reading that is they also concluded that the way to overcome loss aversion um, is to make decisions for your future self. So loss aversion is reduced when you make a decision for your future self compared to making decisions for your current self. And this is what we see from Daniel. This is what we even saw from Carol, the cat lady. They were so committed to their task, they were not afraid of what they might be losing what Carol gained by saving big cats outweighed the risk that she took. And what Daniel gained from his relationship with God outweighed the risk of losing his life. We, and we, he has overcome loss aversion because he's so committed to God. Um, we saw that when he chose not to eat meat or drink wine. We saw that when he chose to not worship the false idols. We see it again now when he prays. He's not worried about losing the kingdom or losing his life because he's committed to God and his fear was conquered by his faith. But I think we suffer greatly from loss aversion in our time. Um, So I want you to turn back to your partner and I want you to talk a little bit about that. You can probably right now think of something that you don't want to lose or give up for God. So get with your partner and talk about that. What is something that you don't want to give up, you don't want to lose, or you're afraid of? It's done sharing. Is anyone brave enough to share what they're afraid of losing? You guys got scared. I heard someone say I have a lo- long list. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's real. Yeah, go ahead. Just yell it out. Security. Sorry? Security. Security. Yep. That's a big one. Anybody else? Family, Family. yeah. Say that again. Familiarity, yeah. Freedom, comfort, Comfort. yep. Say that one more time. Friends, Friends. yeah. Yeah, those are all really good. I think um, those are a lot of what I was thinking about too when I was um, really wrestling with this. I know I can name a lot of different fears that I have. And I think that one that I wanna just focus in on for our time is freedom. So someone mentioned freedom. I think that's a massive one that we suffer from. Um, In our cultural time, we are radical individualists. We desire freedom above all else. And we learn this from a young age. Do you guys grow up, you used to say you aren't the boss of me to your friends, um, or who made you the boss of me? Freedom of speech, all of that. So that's like deeply ingrained in our hearts and minds. And we want to be our own gods. I mean if we're really honest with ourselves, we think that we know what's best for us. And this is why we don't make commitments or we don't keep commitments. It's why we don't want to be tied down. It's why we have a gig economy instead of people leaning more towards having bosses and accountable jobs. We aren't making commitments to each other. And we... You know, we rent instead of own. Um, we don't want to lose our freedom. We don't want to miss out on something better. We prefer our freedoms to God. And we don't want to submit to him or anyone. And guys, I, I actually tried to pray three times a day this week like Daniel. And it was hard. Um, but I, as I was wrestling with that, I was like, why is this so hard? And it's hard because it is encroaching on my freedom of not wanting to wake up early or to do something else. Um, it's tiring to give up your freedom. But every time I choose my freedom instead of faithfulness, I miss out on God. I miss out on a moment with him because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And we talk a lot about being like Jesus, but we forget that Jesus' every action was in submission to God. And a kingdom life, if we're gonna live one, is defined by submission. So I want to tell you a bit of my personal story. Most of you um, know it, and it's a big part of why I do the ministry that I do um, with the LGBT community. So as a Christian who experiences same-sex attractions, it has been difficult, um, as maybe you can imagine, for me to navigate my identity and my faith. Um, And I've been working through that. Um, And over the years, I've mentored a lot of different college students And we have had a lot of really great conversations. Um, And one in particular is sticking out to me as I was preparing for this. And it's this young girl, she's about 20, um, and she just has these like hardball questions. Um, She does not spare me at all. (laughs) She's just like, how is Jesus enough for you? And why would you choose that? Why would you choose um, to give up your sexuality? So. I don't want to get into a whole lot of theology around this right now, and if we can talk about it later if you want to, but um, I really feel the personal conviction to submit my sexuality to Jesus and whatever that looks like. Um, And for me, that looks like not pursuing a romantic relationship. And so she's asking me these hard questions like, Why? Why would you do that? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Um, It's like, how did you make that decision? And the truth is, I made that decision many times over. It's not, it was not just a singular decision that I made. It was many times I made that decision. It's every day I make that decision. And it's a decision that has cost me a lot. Um, I had to overcome my loss aversion for maybe not getting married, for maybe not having kids, for maybe not being able to fall in love with a person I wanna fall in love with, for maybe being um, alone. And this is a part of what my faith has cost for me. And so when they ask why, when she's asking me this question, why, I have to say, but God, what I gain in Jesus, it outweighs any sacrifice that I have given. And that's not that big of a sacrifice compared to what he's given for us. To me, Jesus is worth it. And I will continue to make that commitment to him even when it's hard because he is everything. So when I was talking to her, I said, you know, If I get to heaven, hopefully, I'm hoping I get in there. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) If I get there, I said, you know, here's the thing. It's not going to matter who I like. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter if I like guys or girls. All that's going to matter is him. He's it. He's He's our reward. He's what we get at the end of this. And so when I choose him now, that's bringing heaven on earth. It's what Daniel's doing when he chooses to pray instead of hide, instead of run and don't, you know, don't pray for 30 days. It's what he's choosing too. He's choosing to proclaim that God is king of this world And when I bring God here to king of this world, heaven and earth touch. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God in Babylon. And so when we make these sacrificial choices, when we overcome our loss aversion, it is bringing heaven to earth. And it's also a crazy, radical witness. Someone alluded to this earlier. When Daniel is pulled from the lion's den, King Darius comes to faith. This story is more about King Darius' faith conversion than about the lions or Daniel. Because King Darius has seen with his own eyes and he believes in the God that rescues men from lions. He writes his wrongs, Daniel's accusers are put to death and he actually makes another law that everyone must fear and have reverence for the God of Daniel. This is a direct contrast to his first law So King Darius saw the effects of Daniel's faith with his own eyes and he proclaims, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So when King Darius witnesses Daniel's faith, He puts God in the correct order above him and he comes to faith. So our faithfulness and our submission to God is a radical witness. And I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I have just one more story here. So this past Thursday night, it was about midnight at my house and I was about to go to sleep. I was like, my eyes were starting to close. I was reading something. And you know, when you're like reading, you're like, passing out. That was me. Um, And all of a sudden I hear these tires. And then pop, our lights went out. The power went out. So I'm like, oh man, what happened? And it was very loud. It was like, sounded like it was, sounded like a car hit our house basically is what it sounded like. And so the lights are, it's pitch black because all the power is out. And I hear like rustling, like Catherine's waking up and I'm like, oh God, what's happening? So, cause I was like half asleep here. Um, and so I, I get my glasses and I get up and I run outside and I see there's like smoke and kind of flames billowing. And I'm like running down, the, I'm like barefoot, like running down the street. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna call 911. And there's a fire, there's a pull down. And there was like a, someone had crashed into a electric pole and a live wire was down on the street and it was just flaming and sparking. And those things have like 500,000 volts of electricity in them or something like that. I don't know Tico man could tell me over here, but um, a lot, it would kill you basically. And so there's, there's a power line down and we see that there's, you know, one power line down, but there's like more down on the other side of the street. And there's this car that's wrecked, like completely wrecked. It's a mess. We just see like a blinking light on and we had no idea if the person was okay or what happened. But all of a sudden, you know, I don't know if you guys know Luke. He lives in our house. He's studying to be an EMT. And he's like shirtless but with his EMT badge and he's like running out. (laughs) Everyone's just coming out of their houses in their pajamas. And then randomly from the corner, I see this like dart of blue. And it's this guy in blue underwear only, <laughs> just run, <laughs> running uh, to go check on the person in the car. He's got like a backpack on. And I'm like, who is this guy? And Luke is like, man, you don't have any pants on. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, and they, they go and they check on the person. And I don't, we don't actually know what happened. There was no one in the car when we got there. I, they ran or something, I don't know. But what makes a person run into ja- danger even certain death, if you got hit by that voltage, you would die in their underwear. Can you imagine that headline? Like, man in blue underwear dies, electrocution, trying to save person. It's not how you wanna be remembered necessarily. Um, But this guy in the blue underwear, he made a commitment. He made a commitment that saving someone else's life is better than preserving his own. And he was, honestly, he was free. He was exhilarated to do it. He was unafraid and he was prepared. He had his first aid thing and he was ready to go. And I think we need to be more like the blue underwear guy. (laughs) We need to be more like Carol the cat lady who's willing to die saving these big cats. We need to be more willing um, like Daniel to die to stay faithful to God. And I've wrestled this week with this question, why? Why should we be willing to do that? Why should we be willing to die? And all I could really come back to is that God is the only one who saves. He's actually the only one that can bring dead things to life And he's the only one that has conquered sin and death. So if you're wondering if he is worth it, he is. He's the only thing actually that is worth that kind of dedication. And so this morning I wanna end just by reading a poem. Uh, It's written by Margaret E. Sanger. And it's it's from 1890, it's very old. Um, she's a famous American author, and she wrote a lot of hymns. And she has this poem, and it's entitled The Daily Cross. And um, if you would, just close your eyes as I read it. And then Tommy's going to come up and, and finish. The Daily Cross. Who fain would follow Jesus A daily cross must bear with never-ceasing patience, with watchfulness and prayer. And morning after morning, a tread the upward way that leads through pain and conflict to love's eternal day. Who fain would follow Jesus, the master's life must heed, must spend himself for others, and hear when others plea, must lift the little children in arms of blessing up, and oft the sorrow's pallid lip hold sweet companion's cup. Who fain would follow Jesus he cannot step aside in scorn of weakness tempted, in loftiness and pride? Who would follow Jesus must mingle in the throng and aid when hunger waileth and stoop to right the wrong? Who fain would follow Jesus through strife and shame and death will sit with him at length on high. And this Messiah saith, the daily cross, my brothers, and then the crown and palm. Here, loss and many a trial. There, heaven's unending psalm.